2022. Danny, welcome back for the New Year's edition of Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. Welcome back, everyone. 2022. How does it feel, Rick? I feel older, more gray hair, tired, haggard, weathered. You look it, too. Thanks. Appreciate that. You can blame it on Omicron. You know, that's what I do. Yeah, I think this one's on age. Okay, age. (laughs) Children. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of Medical Minute. And I'm reading the outro. Rick, (laughs) this new year is not starting out good, I tell you. So for those of you who can't, we don't have video yet up, but uh, Danny is shuffling through papers, trying to find his lines. I thought I would do something different this year because we've done 19 episodes. And not <laughs> type out the intro, <laughs> clearly. You know my, my Ron Burgundy moments here where I read what's in front of me. You're, you're an actor uh, <laughs> who needs your lines. My lines were in front of me, but, but I do have a good joke for you guys. And we're ready. Okay. Sure, Danny. And this one particular, Brenna, will like. What do you call a fake noodle? A fake noodle? A fake noodle. I'm not sure. An impasta. <laughs> You were I knew right. She would like you were that. right. Brenna did like it. So nothing really has changed this year so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the topic of this episode, you probably saw when you downloaded downloaded this, is cervical cancer, uh, which is a disease that you know is thankfully there's been a lot of strides made in the prevention of cervical cancer, and um, unlike a lot of cancers we've talked about previously on this podcast, this is one that uh, the vast majority of cases can be prevented. So I think it's very important and it's very a, um, one that where information is extremely important to get mm-hmm. out to the public. I think prevention is key. You know, I think in, a, uh, in the United States, um, I think we do a pretty good job of doing, you know, regular gynecologic exams and screenings and HPV testing, which we'll get into. But um, definitely some third world countries are a little bit behind on the preventative screenings we can do for cervical cancer, and you see a little bit higher incidence in certain countries because of that. Yeah, I think you hear a lot these days about, you know, inequality in this country and social inequality and sort of, you know, different things that go on in different parts of this country. And I think this is a perfect example because, unfortunately, there's good data showing that really a lot of cervical cancer in this country comes from um, areas of, you know, low socioeconomic status, um, poor access to healthcare, uh, those those type of geographic areas. So it's something that you're absolutely right is extremely uh, you know higher incidence in third world countries, but also in parts of this country there's extremely high incidence that match the rates of third world countries. It's kind of scary. So mm-hmm. I think getting getting information out there is is key. Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things uh, you know according to CDC long-lasting infections with certain types of HPV are the main driver for cervical cancer. It's, it's really the cause of cervical cancer, Rick. And, uh, you know, we, we screen patients for that. We, um, gynecologists usually take the first step in meeting with patients and doing pap smears and doing the appropriate screening for this. Um, and we do have vaccines for, for this virus too, which are, really effective um, given at a young age, but just because you're adult doesn't mean you can't get this vaccine. Actually, I think primary care for providers are giving it up until age 40 now, I think, in, in certain cases. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, funny, when I was in medical school or residency, I tried to, you know, because I grew up before. Come on, Dr. Sugarman, you know we're recording. 
let me put this on pause, Rick. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so I remember when I was in, I think, medical school or residency, you know, it was, I grew up before where before the HPV vaccine was available to, to boys. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to get it, trying to get it in my, like, 20s, and they I kept getting denied because it hadn't been approved. And then finally, you know, it got approved for yeah. folks up to, you know, 30s, 40s um, in age. I think um, with cervical cancer, the the thing, I th like you said, HPV virus, but just backing up real quick for the audience, you know, <clears throat> HPV stands for human papillomavirus. Um, it's a virus that's very ubiquitous in the population. So a lot of times we, you know, think of, well, how did I get this HPV virus? What did I do to, you know, how did I pick it up? And, right. you know, this is just one of those viruses that lives amongst all of us. I think there's, yeah. I, I don't have the study in front of me or the number, but it's something like 90 plus percent of people have HPV colonization at some point in their lives, um, you, you know. And so people I, don't look at it as a stigma if they, if you find out you have this virus, you know, either right. in the head and neck area or in the, in the cervical region. It's something that's very ubiquitous in the population. And so the screening for cervical cancer with pap smears and HPV testing on those pap smears applies to everybody, whether mm -hmm. you're someone, you know, who's extremely sexually active or not, you know, right. whether you're a smoker or not, whether, you know, you have other um, medical comorbidities or not. So it's, it applies to everybody. It applies to everyone. I think, yeah, statistically, it's, if you're sexually active, the chances are more likely that you've been exposed to this. And, you know, there are subtypes of the human papillomavirus that are the we think the cancer-causing subtypes, um, and uh, this is what the gynecologists screen for. They can subtype HPV when they do pap smears, um, and you know, not all HPV will show up, and and most people won't know they're they're infected with it, right? That you won't have um, any skin lesions, and skin lesions, I mean, genital warts, um, but you know, you should still undergo the appropriate screening and, 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 you know, that's, that's the way we prevent this cancer. So, um, Rick, do, uh, you know, should we go over a little bit about the, the staging of cervical cancer or how we, we treat it in clinic? Yeah. So, yeah. um, when a woman gets diagnosed with cervical cancer, you know, historically, radiology, so CT scans, MRIs were not part of the staging process um, because as you mentioned earlier it's a disease that's you know predominantly in lower um, income countries where maybe those diagnostic scans aren't available so it used to be a very clinical scan uh, based scanning um, chest x-ray physical exam um, and then they allowed you know for kidney ultrasounds to look for hydronephrosis but which is um, basically swelling of the kidneys that can lead to kidney problems long term that can be from the cancer but I think in the modern era in the United States, um, the combination of physical exam, so getting a good pelvic exam to assess the extent of disease, and then imaging, um, usually with an MRI of the pelvis, which will give us further anatomical information, and then a PET CT scan, which is a CT scan that scans the whole body looking for signs of cancer, not just in the, in the cervix, but also making sure it's not moved to other organs or other areas of the body is how we stage it. Um, you know, I don't know if you have anything more to add yeah, staging is, wise. No, I, don't, I think, I think that's, that's a good overview for staging. I think, uh, just to, uh, talk about what is done pre-staging, you know, we, 
um, have a patient, for example, that had a pap smear and had some uh, cancerous cells detected on their pap smear, uh, and then you would proceed with, with certain imaging, as Rick mentioned, to kind of um, decide on staging and, and what the most appropriate treatment would be. There's even the possibility that there's some atypical cells detected during a uh, exam with a gynecologist, and that's treated differently. Usually there's um, other procedures that are done and then uh, a surveillance plan afterwards. Yeah, so you're gonna, when you have a normal, um, an abnormal pap smear, typically what'll happen is the, the gynecologist will then do a further kind of in-depth look at the cervix. Will they actually go in under magnification and light and sort of examine the cervix and look to see are there any areas that could be targeted and biopsied? Um, there are different procedures, as you mentioned, leaps and other things that they can kind of cut out portions of the cervix or take a deeper biopsy to get assessment of, is this just atypical cells or is this mm -hmm. true cancer? And as you mentioned, if you have atypical cells, it doesn't mean you have cancer, but what it means is you're at a risk of developing it in the future. So you right. would, you're going to be on a different regimen of more frequent exams, more frequent um, you know, pelvic exams and looks at the cervix to make sure nothing develops over time. Right. And that's usually the progression of uh, why the cancer forms is start out by being exposed to HPV, the uh, cells in the cervix become atypical and then eventually form cancer. And this is over several, several years, sometimes 10, 20 years. So um, very important to get your exams. So I, I don't think we, we should go into too much detail about treatment. I think that's beyond the scope of this talk. I think we can give, yeah, a, give a general overview. Yeah. So I think, you know, just yeah. basically speaking, very early stage cervical cancer, so cervical cancer that's only in the cervix, not very large, very tiny, can be tr is treated surgically, where they remove the cervix mm -hmm. and, and typically the uterus and um, the surrounding um, lymph nodes of the area. And that's usually all you need in those mm -hmm. situations is uh, just the surgery. For women who are desiring to maybe still have children, despite having a diagnosis of cervical cancer, there are certain scenarios where if the cancer is small enough, they can get away with sort of a partial, um, you know, where they remove the cervix, don't remove the uterus, and, and sort of can uh, create procedures to allow for fertility to still be a possibility. But in general, in, you know, unfortunately, in the vast majority of cases, if there's a diagnosis of cervical cancer, um, you know, usually the entire cervix and uterus is removed at the earlier stages. As the disease becomes more advanced, if it's larger, if it's near um, into the uterus, if it's into the vagina, if it's into the lymph nodes or other areas of the pelvis, then really radiation becomes the primary treatment um, for it, um, usually with chemotherapy as well. Um, and so those are kind of the big picture overviews of very early stage is treated surgically. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every other stage is treated with a combination of radiation and chemotherapy. Right. Yeah, usually uh, with chemotherapy, we're giving a, a weekly regimen with the radiation treatment that you're, you're giving in clinic, Rick. And then uh, advanced cervical cancer, if it has spread outside to different organs in the body or lymph nodes that are um, more distant away from the, from the pelvis, we... We treat with certain chemotherapies, sometimes uh, administer immunotherapy to those patients. Um, so there's a variety of options, but um, I think we're, we're definitely doing a better job catching it early. Uh, earlier you catch it, the better chance of cure, like all, all cancers. Uh, but the screenings for cervical cancer really have 
have saved a lot of patients and really even prevented a lot of cervical cancers along with the vaccine. Yeah, and, I, and again, I think, you know, uh, Brian up gave us some of these stats here, but the 14,000 new cases per year is the estimate, most recent estimate from the American Cancer Society. Mm-hmm. You know, that number has downtrended significantly over the last three or four decades just from more appropriate screening. Um, and if you actually look at the heat maps of where these diagnoses are, uh, like I said, unfortunately, they're predominantly in lower socioeconomic areas and certain, or, you know, urban centers where, you know, the access to some of these screening procedures, the access to a gynecologist can sometimes, unfortunately, be um, limited. So mm-hmm. it, it just reinforces the point of, you know, if you're a woman, make sure you get, you know, your regular pap smears and pelvic exams as recommended by your gynecologist. The screening recommendations, Rick, have changed slightly to where uh, women who have several negative uh, screenings and uh, test negative for HPV can space out their frequency of uh, exams with gynecologists. And it's changed to from every three to five years in in certain individuals once you um, test negative. Uh, So I think, you know, the big the big key is identifying patients that are at risk screening them appropriately and if if you have a patient who never had a negative pap smear and uh it tests as ne- tests negative for hpv um once they reach their 30s you can really push those screenings out to about every five years um which i think a lot of patients are happy about not having uh, as frequent exams i don't know if you had anything to add there it's 2022 mm-hmm but you know what it also is? Uh, no, Rick. Can you tell me? It's January. It's January. And January. It's my birthday month. You know that, Rick? I do. I do. Okay. You've been bugging me about I, it I did for a week. That. You've been bugging me about it. Actually, it's in my calendar. When is your birthday? Uh, 23rd. Mm. Yeah. It's in my calendar. Coming up. Hope we can get out on. Well, we're planning a, a little golf match. Oh. Yeah. Not a match. We'll yeah. play together. We're just having fun. <laughs> I was like, it's a match? I didn't know. It's so serious. <laughs> this is new to me. Yeah, he doesn't know until he shows up and then it's... So it's other up. than your birthday, yes, yes, January is also Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. I don't know if you were aware. Not until this episode, Rick, no. But, uh, but thanks for informing me. I think, yeah, that's important. I think raising awareness that patients should really undergo the screenings they, uh, they need. And well, I think it's just the take-home for this is unlike a lot of the other things we've talked about, talk about, this one is almost, in a lot of cases, fully preventable. Um, and as the expression goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, meaning it doesn't take a lot to do these things, these screening procedures, but you can save yourself a whole heck of a lot of heartache on the back end um, from having the, if you ended up having the diagnosis. Let me flip my page here, Brenna. Oh, God. Flip my page. Now I'm ready for it. Thanks so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of Medical Minute. If you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like answered, or suggestions for the new year, you can email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media. Search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time, and we hope you learned something today. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions. And and tune tune in next time. time.